0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, episode six of CoreCast. This is your host, Tim.
1: And I'm Mikey. This is Sahil. Welcome, welcome, everybody. It's been, it's been two weeks since we've seen you all. So we're, we're going to dive into some exciting stuff before we do some logistical things. Be sure if you have any questions, ask us on the Twitch channel, and we'll get to them during the episode. And yeah, so let's, let's dive into it. So this episode is based on Is the Universe a Simulation? And I think this question has come up more in popular science because you have people like Elon Musk and other rich, uh, rich billionaires asking, like wondering, can we digitize our brain into a computer? And then wondering about how oh, simulations get good enough and then will be able the difference. Before I dive into that, Mikey, would you be willing to explain to our audience, just so we're clear on the framework, what is the definition of a simulation? Because I'm sure people have some idea, but from a physicist's point of view, what would you say?
2: Wait, me? I <laughs> <laughs> definition Maybe... <laughs> of a simulation?
0: Maybe like a personal opinion, I would say.
2: Ha. Huh. I actually haven't quite thought about that question. Um, hmm. What is the it definition is... of a simulation? Yeah, well yeah, from you know, a physics theory, perspective. It's not, not exactly
1: super strict. Like how, how should we think about
2: it? Should I Think of the popular side of me who that's also (laughs) thinking of simulation as it pertains to um, virtual reality goggles. For the
1: purposes of this discussion, every time we say the word simulation, what are we referring
2: to? Oh, I think that'll change quite a bit during this discussion.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. enough.
2: Um, So I guess maybe we should just start with the popular notion of a simulation, which I guess would be, um, is it by definition a fake representation of reality? That could blow a huge hole in my usage of the word simulation. <laughs> <laughs> well, simulation have to be fake? I don't think it has
1: to be fake. I mean, I just think of it as you have some set of equations that govern how a state of the system changes from one step to the next step, yeah. and that's it. Uh, that just
2: sounds like physics to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but, but I, I think but but I think to the general public, it, it, it's not like that. When, they, when we say simulation, we have a specific like visual reference to a computer. Like a laptop, like a desktop, and then you have the motherboard, it's like the matrix. Words coming down, bits of zeros and ones, and then ones turns into zeros, zero turns into ones, and then blah 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 blah. People are just thinking of the matrix now, man. Basically, wow. and then you have some <laughs> image coming up, and like that's like reality. And maybe there's some sinister mad scientist or you know, another word for that, some kind of deity, some mad deity controlling the every single little move, tweaking the little things here and there, and, and basically like the matrix, the movie, right?
1: Yeah. I, I think I think that's the popular question. So okay, so since that's a that's a bit of a more convoluted question.
0: Wait, well um, no, no, I
2: actually think that brings up an important thing though, because I do think if I if I think about it, I, I do think now that Uh, the popular notion of simulation implies a lack of authenticity people say like Mm -hmm. oh I don't want the simulated thing I want the real thing it's like (laughs) (laughs) no like (laughs) to some extent
0: (laughs) yes right
2: so that's actually I mean and you could argue that that is you know a very uh, adequate definition to describe the kinds of simulations that are becoming more popular now like these uh, virtual reality simulations in a sense they're not authentic but I think maybe we should define what we mean by simulation here um, strictly as the fact that it's a experience or reality that's inside of a larger experience or reality um, so you could call that less authentic but then that would be your hang up um, not nature's
0: <laughs> yeah so so I suppose we can return back to this question and and, and every time I hear this question I, I think I think I almost love it as much as I hate the question. As you can see, because the question itself doesn't doesn't ask anything. It's not a scientific question, first of all, because when we say a simulation, like we even struggle to say, well, that was a simulation, right? Like, is it just a set of <laughs> equations? Then what isn't a set of equation? Is it a set of bits turning to zeros and ones? Like, can we not think about everything a set of bits, zeros and ones? I mean, it's just a base two system. So. So the question itself is highly ambiguous. So and, and and let me clarify. When I say I hate the question, I would say yeah. The the most common interpretation of a simulation is kind of naive, right? It's just like so limited to the human experience to say, hey, maybe the world is kind of like this computer games I play, or you know mm-hmm. some VR I experience. And that to me is obviously not true. So 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 yeah.
1: Oh, go good, sorry.
0: Yeah, so so, 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 I would say, if we're asked this question in that framework, do we live in a simulation like that? Oh, heck no, just easy <laughs> no. <laughs> End of discussion, like we don't live in this less authentic simulated world. I don't know, I, I would... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Does
2: that have to be so black and white? I mean, to what extent? I think the better question is to what extent is it like that? It's not 0%, right?
1: That, that is a fair point. And you are interpreting things through your brains. So you are kind of getting, a, I don't know, maybe a simulated view in some sense of what of what life is like, and you are predicting what would happen. Um, and you have some reality in your head. But so, so, Tim, I wanted to ask you, since you're, you're a bit more bearish on the, on the simulation <laughs> aspect of things, um, what do you think about the argument that I've heard in popular culture where you know, computing power is growing exponentially with Moore's Mm -hmm. law. So eventually our computers are going to get so powerful. And you're looking at the status of VR and AR, they're becoming more and more realistic. Mm -hmm. So eventually at some point, you may not be able to tell the difference with our human brain, like between reality and the simulation through VR. Like, what, what do you think about that argument?
0: Yeah. So let me just say that, like, it might feel, feel like I'm bearish on the simulation idea, but, but. But but it's more like I'm I'm bull, bull bullish on the idea of life of of life itself. So 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 this let me just say this this argument of increasing computational power somehow simulation in real life is identical is complete trash It's utter nonsense, right? So so first of all, when we make this statement, we're kind of comparing things like hey in a video game the trees look fantastic and and whatnot and blah blah blah, right? The, the games look fun, VR looks fun. But it's like neglecting the fact that we're not even close to anywhere simulating real life. In fact, I would argue that we're, we're exponentially not close. Well, why is that? It's because, in, 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 it's because humans, we only observe an infinitesimal small amount of, let's say, information, available information in the world. So, so all the things we care about, for example, like I live in this room, there's some certain amount of air pressure, certain amount of temperature, but I could care less about any number of molecules, like where is this mo- air molecule here versus here versus there. So the amount of stuff I care about is very tiny compared to the amount of stuff that actually exists. So in order for us to really simulate the entire world, literally, like we got to first start digging into the details, like are you going to simulate air molecules? The tiny little vibrations of the electrons and protons, neutrons inside the molecules. I mean all that is it's incredible. So 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 I would say we're not even close to simulating the real world. Like anytime you have, you give me like a VR game, just zoom in. Zoom in a tree. Do you see cells? Zoom into the cell. Do you see do you see little molecules? And 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 let me just say, we're not even close to that. So so this argument is complete nonsense right we're not going to get anywhere close to simulating real
2: life no but we don't have to be close the argument mm-hmm. relies on the um, assumption of exponential growth of or I, I guess I should say actually relies on the uh, um, the the fact that the size of uh, processes are going to get exponentially smaller right
0: yeah so it's kind of like a more st- what is it, Morse law extrapolation? Yeah, then it then, yeah.
2: then it doesn't take much time to travel this large distance that you're speaking of. And um, you know, so I think when people say that, they're talking about the fact that these days, as you said, virtual reality uh, simulations are very good. They they fool the human. But what I think what Tim's saying is that you know you can show the weakness of the simulation by doing an experiment, like a very careful experiment, by having a microscope. But you know, you could simulate the microscope and what you'd be saying there. You could even simulate <laughs> the results coming out of the Large Hadron Collider. We have enough knowledge to do that. Maybe that's the reason that the Large Hadron Collider hasn't found anything, because the simulation.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be that'll be quite a bit yeah. of conspiracy, let me just add that. But it's like every time if my mind decided that I want to log into it, then, then, then the simulation cough up some explanation, right?
2: It could, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean that, Actually, if I think about it, that's, is that a reasonable explanation for why there could be no solution to the hierarchy problem? Because the creators <laughs> well, just well, didn't <laughs> want to go <laughs> and well, it doesn't not, matter?
0: Let's not bring the hierarchy problem. But, 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 yeah. but let me just say this perspective is, is kind of very useless uh, scientifically. Like, sure, maybe it is true that there's this conspiracy theory where you know, every time I'm checking, zooming in on, on my hand, I see cells because like, someone is zooming in. I mean there are games that do that. It, it is true like, you know, maybe like GTA you 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 like you you render nearby environments as you zoom you go further you 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 render more and more. But 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 to some extent it's it's sort of not a scientifically disprovable like falsifiable statement. And it's you know we can talk about it, but it, it's kind of weird now in in, in, the, in terms of physics. So, so I, I would say it's okay, sure, to think about that, but it's not falsifiable. It's not really scientific.
1: So, so, Tim, what what if I were to take, like, wait enough time to have, like, a computer the, the size of, like, Jupiter or some, something, like, r- ridiculous like that, and I were to just take the current laws of physics and just, like, simulate and let things go based on, like, Purely what what we see in everyday human experience would it be what, what would there be challenges with that
0: yeah i would i would argue and I'm, i don't know the details but i would argue it would still not work and that's because uh, now, now let, let's add some physics in in the loop right wait okay yeah it wouldn't work if you had to simulate everything that you don't care about yes. but nature doesn't
2: actually do that either nature knows when you're probing something hard and it Changes its resolution accordingly. So,
0: yeah. So, 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 let me just add that. So, so if you have a computer that's the size of Jupiter, you might create, you might be able to simulate a reality that's, you know, to some extent, kind of looks like the real world, but it will not be the real world. Like you cannot make a copy of the real world and simulate and, you know, the weather and predict the weather. Because of, of physics, because in, in, this is classical physics, because of chaos theory. Uh, last episode, we described some of that. Uh, nature is very good at scrambling things. It's very good at having a lot of complicated interactions, scrambling all the little details. And, and this means that when, whenever you have a measurement, uh, let's, say, let, let's say today's weather, it's good, you have a measurement. When that measurement is slightly off, that amount of error exponentiate as time goes on. So it becomes harder and harder to extrapolate you know, uh, for, for, for weather prediction to extrapolate further and further. And this is well-known uh, butterfly effect. So, so this means that even, if, let's say we're trying to simulate our world a, on, on a computer the size of Jupiter. Like we, we will not succeed, even if we try, because we never measure things to such accuracy that we can simulate our world. But on the flip side, yeah, you can simulate maybe a different world to some extent. Like a different new simulated world.
2: You're saying you can't exactly copy our. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you can create new ones potentially. I think that's that would satisfy the criteria of um, the minimum requirement to argue that we live in a simulation.
0: Yeah. So, so, so supposedly that is another argument, right? So, so, it, so the fact that we see many, many. Like, like, like imagine one day we have a computer the size of Jupiter and we see many, many more of them. And there's sort of this intuitive, I don't know, lay argument that says, um, or philosoph- philosophical argument that says, hey, if we see so many more simulations than we see our real world, which is just we only have one real world and we have many simulated worlds, that maybe our real world is another simulation. Um, so, so, so that's sort of the argument. Wait, uh, no, no, I think I, th- I think it's it's actually a statistical
2: argument, right? It's, a, well, it's an anthropically statistical argument. It says that um, if it's possible for a civilization to um, achieve the ability to create a realistic simulation and, and uh, intelligent beings evolve in that simulation, and it's possible for them to um, create lifelike simulations, then after a very short amount of time, the vast majority of existing universes become simulated. And then it becomes more and more statistically likely that our universe is a, or yeah, the real universes are a very special and rare mm-hmm. thing next to simulated universes in this scenario.
0: Right, yeah. So 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 let's walk through that argument. And I would still say that even that argument uh, like I, I don't buy that argument, basically. So this was so,
2: made. This was this was made famous by Nick Bostrom, a
0: uh, yes. uh, philosophy yeah.
2: professor at Oxford University.
0: Yeah. So one is so. So what's the problem with this argument? So so let's take our, our real world for example. Let's say we have we have ten Jupiter-sized computer running ten different simulated world. Like we just say that we we couldn't copy our world, right? When we do that, it there's still a hierarchy that our world is so vastly different from the world. the the Jupiter world, because our world is way more complex. I can always zoom in more to get way more details than the Jupiter world will ever give us, right? So, of course, you can say, hey, maybe our world is in an even more complicated world that's simulating us, but that seems awfully inefficient. That seems like such a bad way of, like, making simulations, right? You have simulations that are, like... Like, like, why does our world need to be so much more complicated than the simulated world? So, so, so then this statistical argument kind of, kind of falls apart because, because let's just sure. It
2: falls apart if each simulation is inferior to, the, uh, to its uh, parents.
0: Right. And, and that, so that is, crazy. yeah. And, and, and that's not necessarily the case, but that's the case in our world. And, and I'll bring in the argument, argument by Frank Wilczek. He's he he a uh, famous professor, a Nobel laureate, and uh, wrote an article um, in Wall Street Journal basically, that basically says that, that basically precisely says this argument, the world is, has way more information. So if we are indeed living in a simulation, it's an awfully inefficient one. It's like tossing away so much information um, to, to simulate this world. Of course, you know, we, can th- we can imagine Mikey's argument that Maybe it is a conspiracy where every time we look, it's kind of like, you know, zooming in with us and it's very anthropic. Like somehow you have to believe that human is so special when we look, I guess. Like, what do we? Yeah. Like, what about chickens? Like, you know, would chickens notice glitches or or (laughs) bacteria? No, I mean, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) chickens. Chickens don't probe things as hard as humans do because chickens can't build an LHC. So.
1: So what what about the concept of like errors? so for instance, if I imagine the biological example where whenever a cell splits it copies its DNA, but there's some mutations that happen. Couldn't I say like think of that in sort of a computational sense that errors or things by random chance tend to happen as time goes on? and so yeah, I, either view asking is that.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah I, I, don't, I don't want to confuse these two things, because I, I want to point out that one thing that Tim is talking about is um, the, it, it. Tim's whole argument relies on the fact that is true today that the simulations we make are necessarily inferior in some sense or contain less information, far less information than the reality that we think we live in. And one of the major reasons for that is because of the fact that all of our simulations are built on classical computers. And yeah, because of that, there's necessarily going to be a, a far less amount of information that you can um, store and thus use for your simulation. So
0: yeah. I guess um, we should delete
2: that conversation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, but, but, but let me just go back on, 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 on this random randomness component. So, so, so quantum. So, so quantum com- computer definitely brings an other layer of very interesting argument that, that we'll, we'll disc- discuss just, just in a bit. But, 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 but I would say this randomness component, it, it's, it's a bit of a red herring. So, so whenever we run simulation, we generate random numbers on a computer. Of course, we know that random numbers are never random. So any good random number generated on a computer, C, you know, in C++, Python, whatever, they're not called random number generator. They're called pseudo random number generator. Mm-hmm. Basically, what that is, is they grab stuff from the environment, like, like your computer. They grab some random you know, arbitrary bit from the RAM and then they generate numbers. So in some sense, like um, information from the outside world is leaking into the simulation. Mm-hmm. So, so now you can imagine, let's say we live in a simulation. Let's assume that. Let's assume that. If the analogy is sort of similar, the sort of computer, and, and we see things, you know, we see kind of random-ish behavior, right? And if these are really truly random numbers, then maybe there has to be some external, you know, the external stuff driving the simulation computer to inject those information into our, our our world. And if that were true, that will kind of explain... Let me let me not say explain right. That will be kind of the source of I don't know the increase of entropy. It's kind of like we're injecting more information, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't believe it. I don't think it's true really, right? Because we because every time you look at hey things, things seemingly getting more chaotic. There's a reason behind it. It's not it's just it's not just that things are random. If you like happen to trace every single particle, you could you could follow it. You can trace it. You can you can cook up a reason.
1: Yeah. That, that that makes that makes sense. Um, so I want to jump to an audience question um, that that was asking. Michael asking is uh, if there's something simulating the world, what is running that thing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would say that's that's another issue with sort of the simulation argument. It becomes like turtles all the way. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to though, because turtles are uh, the turtles all the way. You know, I, I guess for those that don't know
2: was it Bertrand Russell who, yeah. um, oh gosh, I'm going to botch the story. <laughs> Try your best. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think Bertrand Russell was at some talk and uh, he was explaining the solar system, I believe. So I don't know why it's turtles. Um, and yeah, this old woman apparently uh, stopped him afterwards or during the talk and said, uh, you're a very nice Nice young man, but everything you said is just nonsense. The world lives in the back of a giant turtle. And he said, uh, well, that's an interesting idea, ma'am. But uh, what does the turtle live on top of? And he says, oh, you're very clever. But it's turtles all the way down.
0: <laughs>
2: is that the story? Yeah. I mean, my, my, my answer to that would be uh, a little cheap but it's the excuse that's used in the movie Interstellar if you haven't seen it. Um, and I, I don't believe that that necessarily this, uh, the idea that we live in a simulation necessarily implies turtles all the way down. I think it implies that what's outside is something that is literally beyond our ability to comprehend. Um, it's, a, it's something that's a higher dimension. And what, yeah, as humans, we have no idea what, in existence in a higher dimension would feel like, and we have no idea how to reason um, anything that might resemble emotions in such a such a being who existed in this space. So,
0: yeah. So, yeah. Let, let me just interject a bit. So, so now, now I would say that there's a bit of philosophy in here, right? Um, so, so personally, like I would say that this is a serious red herring. Like no physical theories you know, should have this huge gap. You know, you explain something, there's a massive gap. Uh, but of course, in every physic, physical theory, you have to stop somewhere. And even, even as sort of the picture eluded that, that, that on, on, on the screen here, in the same way, when we look at the Big Bang theory, we don't ask what caused the Big Bang because that's just the beginning until, you know, maybe, maybe we have some more information and some more theories about it. Um, that's just kind of beyond our universe to some extent, we don't talk about it. So to that extent, um, you know, some of that argument is valid, but another another part of it is, is your taste, kind of your philosophy. Like what is science, but. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe like, maybe now... think about it. We, with
2: current technology, we have the ability to, um, probably we have the ability to create a simulation in which uh, creatures like ants evolve with very simplistic uh, (laughs) group mechanical behavior, right? And and these creatures, you could argue that they could have some form of consciousness. Um, Their behaviors could be dictated by uh, flexible rules that you could argue is some kind of AI, uh, like a reinforcement learning algorithm. Uh, And these creatures would have no concept to even question what (laughs) our existence would be like. And I don't know, I think personally, I think the likely answer to that is something analogous. Yeah, that that does, yeah,
1: I I can see that. Um So Tim, since you referenced this diagram, I think it's time we we jump into this. Since this has been there, the very beginning of the episode, Uh what is this trying to show in a nutshell?
2: You say Tim, or
0: oh oh um, yeah, I, I I I think this this picture is is a bit more for for Mikey's argument, right? That that <laughs> uh, that. You can think of it as a, like some people think of it as a support for the simulation argument because there's this analogy of, you know, the beginning of the beginning. Like, what is that? Like the Big Bang. um, Some people are uncomfortable with the fact that if you have, if you have uh, the Big Bang Theory, you can ask the question, well, what happens before the Big Bang? Mm-hmm. And then you. OK, you can... maybe we should. Let's, let's, let's explain the picture first. So maybe yeah. I'll just say
2: I mean, this picture isn't really doing anything. It's a picture that we've, um, and there's nothing controversial here either, except for this part here that says sort of simulation. Um, it's a picture we showed in a previous podcast where we we're just describing um, standard cosmology about what the early universe looks like. And it's just a space time diagram where time goes uh, from left to right and space uh, is represented as a one dimensional axis. Um, that's vertical. And what it describes is uh, there's a few boundaries here. So um, this gray dotted line here um, is what you could call the boundary of the universe, the physical boundary. And um, this point in time labeled now represents where we are now. And this solid line here represents, uh, I guess this represents farthest known. So this is these are the farthest objects which are no longer part of our universe, but Um, We know of their existence because we've seen them in the past. And so why is this um, relevant for today? Uh, For no reason other than the fact that if we live in a simulation, then the point labeled Big Bang here would represent the start of the simulation, so.
0: Yeah, but technically it's probably before the Big Bang, I suppose. Uh, Yeah. It it depends (laughs) on how you view the Big Bang. But before the Big Bang, the universe started. Uh right
1: yeah so I guess, so then, what you're saying is that this if we were think of this as a as a simulation, the pertinence to simulation is just that the Big Bang or before the Big Bang represents the start of it, and then you have basically how the universe has evolved with time as governed by some some something that that makes it evolve with time,
2: some program, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And and actually, I think it shows something a little bit more. Um, So earlier, I make this argument that the real world is far more complex than kind of any simulation, right? So that's the argument. Well, you can kind of flip that around uh, and say, well, but is there any upper bound on the complexity of our world? Like, is there a limit? Um... You, you know if the, if the universe was in a simulation then there's got to be some limit right because no computer has infinite resource to some extent so is there a limit on how complex our world is well it turns out that interestingly there is because physically things that are so far away they move faster than the speed of light so we'll never reach them so you might well think of them as not existing so so conveniently if someone were to be running the simulation they can just kind of toss that away so so, so indeed if you think of the the Earth as sort of the center of the universe. There is, you can sort of compute this construct, the maximum amount of information that exists to describe everything. There, there is an upper bound. It's not infinite. That's the interesting uh, thought.
2: I know it's a little messy, but I feel like it's worth, uh, I totally forgot that the, I mean, so, Alan, Tooth, um...
0: yeah so 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 indeed, I think many physicists have uh, huh. written papers and done you know a whole slew of uh, research programs to kind of think of the think of the universe huh. in a computational way huh. and so I would say I would say simulation is a little too specific huh. um, but, but, but if, if you kind of relax this question a little bit, instead of saying, hey, do we live in a simulation? Or, or just relax the definition of a simulation a little bit to say, hey, is there something computational about the universe? Is there something about the universe that appears to be similar, analogous to concepts in computer science or computational theory? Well, the, the question is yes. It's, a, it's a, quite a bit more fruitful.
1: I see. So Tim, one thing that came to mind as you were explaining is like um, sort of complexity that arises out of simplistic behavior. So if we were to take the game of life, for instance, as an example, it obeys very simple rules, but when you aggregate so many things together, it gives rise to sort of epiphenomenon. So cells interact in a more slightly simplistic way, or you can imagine ant colonies, they interact in each individual ant probably interacts in a very simplistic way, but together as a whole, it forms a very complex sort of behavior. So how do we know the universe isn't like that, per se?
0: Well, I would say the universe to some extent is sort of like that, at least from the, the laws of physics we unearth. On some yeah. level, it is like that. Um, but on, an, on another level, there's sort of this unknown. Well, I, I would say from, from a physicist's perspective, we certainly hope that the universe is like that. Because if the universe, if the fundamental laws of physics has too much complexity, uh, you can't really do physics, right? You can imagine a universe where every single second, every event is its own unique law, then this would be a horrible universe to live in. Uh, there's no stability basically. like one moment'm I'm, I'm Tim, the next moment, like the atoms might fly, fly apart, everything decaying, like that wouldn't be a good existence. So there's definitely some con- consistency involved. So, 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 so yes, from a computational side, um, the, the, there's definitely some pattern that governs the universe such that um, there is, the, the universe appears more complex than the law is. I, I guess you can say that. That's definitely true. Uh, yeah,
1: that I, yeah I, I agree with that. Um, so Mikey, there's an audience question I wanna ask you are there any implications for the universe being a simulation for our understanding of determinism of free will?
2: Ah, uh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, hard, hard, no. Um, <laughs> I think the I think the free will argument is very is very confusing to me. I don't quite understand it because what does it mean to not have free will? I guess it requires. Yeah, I guess the idea of free will requires the idea that I can draw a box around myself and um, basically demarcate a boundary. And the question of free will then becomes, does what's inside the box, uh, can it do what it wants regardless of what's outside the box in some sense? (laughs) Like, is you know, nothing can control me. Um, And that's obviously no. And I think um, even things you know, recent discoveries that our our behavior and moods and emotions are determined by our gut microbiome. Um, I mean, does that mean we don't have free will? <laughs>
0: well, I don't uh, know how how proper those research are.
2: No, no, they are. I mean, our,
0: our <laughs> mood disorders are um, to some extent maybe, but but okay.
2: Yeah, yes. I mean, there's a there's a huge nerve connecting the brainstem to the uh, um, to the gut, and yeah. Uh,
1: that that might be outside the scope of this discussion. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But I mean I think, I think it's um uh I, there's so many there's so many podcasts about free will and, and that's the thing that always bothers me is that nobody nobody Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, okay, even if you buy the simulation argument, then if if you take some sort of random number generator, there's gonna be some undeterministic bits to some extent. Oh. Because of yeah, like, like even, even a simulation is, is never 100% deterministic. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so I would say yeah. it's probably not necessarily true. It's not even about determinism. It's it's the fact that,
2: of course, my actions and behavior is are determined by the things I interact with. So does free will mean is it asking, like, whether or not there's a sentient being that's controlling my actions. Uh, and if, or Or like a human like being, I feel like when people say they don't have free will, they imagine like some human-like entity with a remote control that's like controlling us, um, and that's obviously not happening. But the universe is definitely <laughs> controlling us. <laughs> but do we have free will? I don't know. Guess it depends on what you mean by free will.
0: Yeah, I would say probably the normal. Common definition of being controlled by some weird supernatural thing. I think that that does not happen. Like by mm. then, then in all practicality, you know, they, it, fear will exist to the extent that we can't predict things, how things happen. So, like yeah, I think I it doesn't some really yeah. good movies
2: though lately. I forget which ones. Those sci-fi movies where mm. they um they sort of deal with like these uh, coincidences. Um, so these five, I guess, beings of five dimensions, um, since they have sensitivity uh, beyond time, they can coordinate these uh, very finely tuned coincidences. I think Interstellar mm-hmm. kind of played with this too. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, well, but okay, but, but to some extent we're, we're sort of missing the elephant in the room is that um, in fact, the world is inherently quantum mechanical. Yes. So yeah. So none of this, Determinism, not determinism, is everything goes out of the window. So, and indeed, um, so far we've kind of reframed ourselves in this classical framework where you have a classical computer, you know, imagining you know, zeros and ones, flipping and turning, right? But, so, so given, that, given that the world is inherently quantum mechanical, the amount of complexity jumps a lot even, um, because quantum system inherently has more complexity so, so I would say if we consider that, then the notion that we're in a simulation, in a class, in a classical simulation, has become completely flawed, basically. Um, so, so the only sensible way to talk about it has to be that has to be um, to compare real life and simulation has to be compare comparing real life, a quantum mechanical real life, and and simulation, a quantum mechanical simulation. That is the proper discussion to have.
2: Yes. So I just drew this kind of a packed together plot here of something we were describing out earlier uh, called Moore's Law, uh, which is if you look at how uh, computer chips have been developing over the past um, 20 years, uh, the amount of computing power you can pack into a certain size is dropping. dropping exponentially. And this is directly related to um, the increase in computing power, since you can fit more uh, in the same space. Um, And people who believe in the singularity believe that you can uh, sort of extrapolate this line all the way through to the end of time. But if you're a physicist, um, you know that extrapolations always break down. Mm-hmm. It's completely silly mm-hmm. to think that this will continue. Yep. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we're up against right now, um, that we're actually brushing up against right now, is this point here, which we call the quantum limit. Now things are so small that you can't ignore. Um, the the usual rules don't work.
0: Yeah, I guess for the for audience who are, let's say, joining us on the audio, so, so Mikey is just describing the fact that as 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 these transistors in the computer get smaller and smaller, we get more and more computational power. At some point, they shrink so much that quantum mechanics become important, then you can't really just shrink them anymore. You have you, you can't have, make them
2: the size of atoms. You can't make them smaller than the
0: size exactly, of atoms. Exactly. Yeah. And you need a completely new paradigm. So now this is where I think our discussion will become super speculative, because we don't really <laughs> we don't even really have a quantum computer yet. So, we do.
2: What are you talking about? We have quantum computers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you, you mean the commercial one? I, I don't think we do. I'm skeptical. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean a few qubits. Like, w- what is that? Yeah. No, uh, Oak Ridge has 50 qubits. Okay, okay. Well, I don't know the details. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have some, like, experimental quantum computer. Let's put it that way.
1: Mm. Well, the question could be, is 50 qubits enough to do anything, like, that we actually want to do?
2: It's um, enough to simulate 50 uh, Lego blocks of space and time.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, well, I guess let's not get into the details of quantum computer. I mean, we can spend many episodes talking about it, but yes, but I do,
2: I do want to just mention one thing though, because yeah, I'm, I'm glad we can keep this brief. Um, but what could you do if you could make a processor the size of an atom? It means that you could basically simulate the behavior of an atom. <laughs> And what would be the first thing you would do if you could uh, accurately simulate the behavior of atoms and fundamental particles? You'd make a universe, right <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's so, I mean, it, people don't
2: realize that quantum computing is is um, you know some people say that quantum computing is you know ten years away or fifty years away, uh, and when they say that you know I tend to think that that's a a crazy uh, overestimation. The kind of problems we have to solve in order to make big quantum computers work um, are huge. But if you have a big working quantum computer, I would argue that you've already started simulating a universe (laughs) because the basic laws of physics are simpler than any kind of code breaking application or um, all of these other things that people talk about doing with quantum computers. So.
1: so, Mikey, I, w- I want to ask you one one thing about what you said. So, if you make if you make it small enough, the processor size to the size of an atom, would do you mean by simulating an atom? What, what does that mean? Now we've changed the definition of the simulation. So, how does this tie into that?
2: Right. So um, the atom. Uh, obey's a different kind of behavior. It evolves in a different way um, than, let's say, a hard object like a marble, which just has a position xyz in three-dimensional space and a location at any given time. Yeah. Uh, if you look at an atom, uh, it looks like a hard marble from far away, but once you look closer, you see that there's actually a lot more information stored in there. Yeah. Um, and in order to accurately capture that information, you can't do it using zeros and ones uh, like a classical computer. It would require an infinite number of zeros and ones to capture all the information, just one atom. And this is what, um, we'll talk about this in a later podcast, but this is really what um, gives quantum computers their power over classical computers. They're fundamentally Mm -hmm. um, less limited in this way.
0: I see. And, And I also want to add that this notion of computer is quite a bit different from the normal computer. Like a normal computer, you can think of it as, hey, I have, I have, I bought a desktop and then I have some, you know, I have some hard drive, I have some, you know, memory and then a CPU and all, calculating zeros and ones and spit out some numbers. For quantum computer, it's very tricky because, because the whole world is quantum mechanical. There's so much more interaction that you cannot s- separate. You can, you cannot just completely separate the environment and you can try. And that's one of the biggest challenges in quantum computer. And, and, it, and it's much more vague to the extent, you know, what exactly is a computation? Because, because, because in a normal computer, you can, you can make copies of your data, you can manipulate it and then get an output. In quantum computer, there's this, for example, there's this theorem, this no-clone theorem, meaning that you can't really copy quantum bits. Um, you, you can't exactly copy a quantum system. So a lot of times when you do manipulations, the data itself is getting is getting modified as you do computation. So 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 it's it's, it's a whole and entire more subtle thing. Um, it's a it's a completely different way of viewing computation.
2: It's not that different though. I mean it just um, so if you're familiar with classical computing, it just means that uh your you know for any time you do a computation you have some waste information. And yeah, it just means that you kind of have to double uh the amount of waste information because of the of the no copy thing that tim mentioned um but you know the quantum computing algorithm people have spent time on it and you know there are tricks for that um maybe right now would be a good time to talk about this interesting analogy that people have started discovering lately Mm -hmm. uh, since tim was talking about the nature of computation um that it really makes sense to think of uh, in physics we often talk we, we often think of everything in terms of an interaction um, so two particles go in they interact with each other they come out um, and they the, the state they're in afterwards are different than the state they're in before that's the same as if two humans interact you know like having a conversation they leave with a state that's hopefully different than what they came in with it's, it's a way of representing change um, and it's almost... Uh, it's very natural to think of interaction and computation as the same thing. Oh. Yeah. So computation, one of the things that computation can compute, is an update. Uh, like to, like my information state. So if two humans go and have a conversation and leave, um, there's a computation going on there, which is the update. Uh, and there's another computation going on if the communication occurs through some language you know, in our brain. And that's very similar to two particles interacting. They go in with some uh, position and velocity. And if you like, they compute which position and velocity they have to exit with.
1: So Mikey, I want to ask you about that analogy. What if you had just a single particle that was just not chilling and just like going through space by itself, not not touching anything?
2: Ah, then that (laughs) is no computation going on. And that's actually really interesting because that's something very deep about relativity is the fact that um, it's moving at some constant velocity that's effectively not moving at all because velocity is only relative. And so, yeah, yeah, such a particle would not be.
0: But on the other hand, you can still think of that as interaction because ultimately space time itself has to be, you know, made up of something like made up of little, little quantum. If there's gravity. mean yeah or, or, yeah well space time itself it has to be constructed of some kind of little qubits so so a particle moving through space time by definition will be a particle interacting with these little space-time qubits and Ooh. changing and moving around so so there's still interaction so basically any there, there there are many perspective let let's just put it that way and there's just there's always interaction to some extent there. there.
1: So, Mikey, can you explain this diagram a
0: little bit more?
2: Yeah, so this is my favorite. Uh, So we started with this picture of the universe. Um, It's expanding. And so it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And at the beginning, there's something called a Big Bang. And we could call that the start of the simulation. Uh, A few years ago, Sean Carroll uh, at Caltech and some of his friends wrote this interesting paper where they imagined what the universe would look like, or more specifically, what the Big Bang would look like if um, if the universe was a simulation on a quantum computer. <laughs> and one of the fundamental um, uh, caveats of this assumption uh, is that um, the existence of space is the result of a computation. And this is what Tim is referring to. Um, hmm there is this picture of the universe where you can think of space as arising due to the interactions of things in that space. What, wait, what? <laughs> ah, sorry, so yeah. So let's, let's take a step back actually. Um, so there's one interesting fact that uh, a lot of people don't think about, but that you know, the space we live in is, has a property called smoothness. It means that I can run my hand back and forth and it's smooth. I won't run into any obstruction or any kind of barrier. It turns is, out that, sorry.
1: Couldn't you say there's like particles in the air or is it just like, what do you mean when you say barrier? Just, just be more precise.
2: Ah, uh, like there's no obstruction that stops. So you're right. Um, my hand has to push through the air. Yeah. So There is some barrier. There is some obstruction. But luckily, the strength of that obstruction is small, so I c- it doesn't stop me from being able to move my hand back and forth.
0: Yeah, I, I guess this is looking at it from a very computational viewpoint. Like, if you imagine a simulation, right, let, let, let's say my simulation has, is a box. There, there's, there's a fixed size, I don't know, it's, a, it's a 20 numbers, and the particle kind of jump from one number to the next. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I go to the limit of the 20th number, well, there's no more, any, there's no more numbers. I can't go any further because that's the limit of my array, let's say. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the boundary, right? We don't see that. So, so that means they're kind of, you know, sort of like a, in a computer, like the array, there's more in the array. It keeps going from yeah. that perspective.
2: Yeah. Um, so it turns out that the smoothness of space um, depends on a very crucial property of space. And that is that nearby points are correlated with each other let's say their energies are correlated with each other. Their energies are very similar. Mm -hmm. So let's take like your example with the air molecules. Um, Mm -hmm. The air molecules of neighboring, the energy of air molecules that are neighboring with each other are very similar. You might say that there's a very strong correlation between them. Yeah. If that was not true, if let's say there was some barrier here where the energies were completely uncorrelated with the energy on the other side of the barrier of these air molecules, um, then that means once my hand crosses this border, it sees uh, an assortment of air molecules at arbitrarily high energies. And I would get- that. Oh, go, go ahead, sorry. Oh yeah, um, so does that sound crazy?
1: No, I, I guess like, well, we can probably discuss where, where that discontinuous discontinuity would arise in nature but I, I want to sort of ask like how does this relate to the diagram that, that you're showing so I see a bunch of lines yeah and then certain things connecting those lines together but well, what determines that connection and, and what does that even mean
2: uh, so these these connections are called uh, so this this what we're describing here is a circuit um, okay. so these horizontal lines are basically different wires and the proposal okay. here is that um, the fabric of space Itself can be viewed as a series of adjacent wires, and yeah. these gates um, are interactions between the wires. Um, they create uh, correlations um, in the values. So each of these wires can carry a value, and um, mm. yeah, the gates create relationships between those values. Um, so this process is very analogous. Actually, let's we can make this more concrete. Let's say that uh, I, I, I'm in a room right now. Let's say I divide the room in half and I heat one side of the room to like a thousand degrees.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Right. Then uh, there will be a very strong um, uh, difference between the energies of the particles on one side of the room and the other side of the room. Right. Yeah. But if I open that divider and I let those part, uh, particles interact with each other, eventually the room will cool down to its average
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the boundary will be gone. Yeah. So is saying that this is how space is actually created. Um, at the beginning of the Big Bang, you have space, but nothing has gotten the chance to interact, with, uh, interact yet. So when you press play, each, neighbor, each point talks to its neighbor and each point talks to its neighbor and the smooth space actually grows out of this process.
1: It, it seems like you have a fixed number of, of lines or the number of lines can change I mean if each line is supposed to represent I guess a point in space-time or maybe some unit of space-time and you have these interactions between different points um, I mean, in a previous episode we covered how the universe is expanding so how should I think about the universe expanding in terms of this in terms of this diagram
2: uh, there are dot dot dots here to show that there's an infinite number of lines um, yeah. Okay. but yeah the expansion of space is literally this Cone right here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I I would say perhaps one one fact we want to remind the reader is that um, gravity is weird, and I just we just mentioned that because of gravity, Einstein's relativity, there's sort of like a definitive causal volume of our universe. Like imagine if we were to simulate it, we don't have to simulate anything outside of it because it will never talk to anything inside. So that means there's a there's an upper bound on the number of bits in our universe. So if you trace back in time, the total number of bits of, of the universe at, a, at a, any given particular slice, there's a finite number, you can count it. I don't know, it's 10 to the 100 or something, something huge, but it is, it's a, it's, it's a number. It's not infinite. So Mike is saying that in this view, it's, it, and, and also because we know that in gravity, things don't just jump from here to all the way in the, you know somewhere else in the, in the next galaxy. Right, Interactions have to happen locally, so it's kind of like they're, they're, they're this kind of computational-esque model-ish going on. It's almost like a linked list, right? You you can't, you know, you, you have to go from here, the interaction happen locally from one point yeah. to the next and just slowly expand out. And that's a sort like of... Transitive
2: property. <laughs> so,
0: and that's not obvious, I guess. It's not obvious. Why the universe has to be that? But it is.
2: Yeah. So,
1: so, Tim, are you, are you saying that um, because there's a finite amount of information in the universe or finite number of bits in the universe, we can represent the universe in terms of this diagram where each line represents a bit and how these bits interact with each other? And so there's a a fixed, or maybe not a fixed, but a finite amount of it. Yeah. This kind of diagram makes sense.
0: To some extent. But let me add, it's a quantum bit. These has to, these have to be qubits not the classical bit. The classical bit tells you that it's infinite. So, but not the quantum version. Makes sense.
1: Um, So I I guess this represents interactions and then these interactions, how how should we think intuitively about interactions and the expansion of, of space? Like what about the interactions causes space to expand or is there like, can be related to this?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily cause space to, exp- it causes a smooth region of space to expand. Yeah, yeah, it's just that there could be, I guess, in this picture, there does exist a space outside of the smooth region. But yeah, you don't have access to it. And that saves you a lot of computational <laughs> yeah,
0: so, energy. So let's just add that the interaction here is just gravity. So, so, yes. so just keep in mind that these are all speculative, like we don't have a complete theory a quantum mechanical theory of gravity. So that's why you know, we, people come up with ideas on what quantum gravity might be like. And this is one proposal that maybe you could, we can borrow some, you know, some, some ideas from computational theories and maybe bring it to cosmology and quantum gravity.
2: Yes, but this is far from the only idea. It turns out that there's actually been a, a, a slew of fruitful research over the last 10 years um, I mean, like paradoxes about black holes, 20 years old, uh, have found resolutions from thinking about the universe in terms of computation instead of as interaction. And for me, I mean, as Tim said, it's not falsifiable. We'll never prove it wrong. But um, as a religious person, (laughs) (laughs) I feel fine subscribing to this
0: because to me, the hints are very strong. But, but let me uh, just add that this viewpoint of a simulation or quantum simulation, it basically has nothing to do with the way the, I don't know, the, gen, the general public, the media portray what a simulation is like. It's not like we're on a VR goggles and like bits of zeros and ones uh, living in this, you know, less authentic life, right? Like that's, that's probably not right.
2: I would say that there are some haunting similarities between those two pictures, though.
1: <laughs> so, so, Tim, I want to ask you one question. I want to be mindful that we have a few minutes left um, by an audience member. Is the smoothness the resolution of the quantization of space? The smoothness, the resolution of quantization of space?
0: Okay. Um, I'm not sure I understand the question that much, but but, but let me. Just qu- take a... Yeah,
2: I don't. I don't think the quantization of space needs a resolution. So I think maybe they're asking like um, whether or not this um, sort of explains the quantization. Yeah, can, can I can I view this wire picture as explaining the quantization of space in a sense? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, because we know that space has to be made up of something discrete and kind of you know uh, con- some, some smaller constituent. That's not space time. And you can ask, well, how, then how comes space looks smooth? And in this picture, that ex- this explains why space looks smooth. Because nearby bits, uh, these discrete little pieces are entangled and related to each other. So you can kind of just go right through them.
2: Hmm. OK, maybe I, the only thing I would add to that is um, to summarize is that uh, this picture, so if you're thinking of space, wanting to quantize space like LEGO blocks, um, this does not shed insight into the picture of how space could be quantized like Lego blocks. It does shed light into how uh, properties of particles like spin can be quantized in binary code. And I think it's likely that something similar um, but also a little abstract is responsible for this uh, quantization of space problem that you talk about.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that, Makes sense. Um, so I guess in the remaining time that we have, uh, what would be sort of your your, uh, I guess like, uh, thoughts to wrap things up to, based on what we've discussed.
0: Yeah. So, so I would say so. So I would say let's just summarize it for a bit. Um, whether we live in a simulation or not, I think a big part of it is is not really, a proper scientific question. Um, so, and it takes a bit of leap of faith to to, to come to a certain conclusion and whatnot and and I would say um, personally I, I think the 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 most common viewpoint on this simulation you know i i, I think most of it just doesn't make too much sense um, but but of but of course um if you dig deeper from a quantum perspective quantum gravity perspective, yeah there is some Interesting bits about computational theory that we can bo- that we borrow in quantum theory, but most of it's speculative. Uh, but but I would, I, for me, I think nature is probably quite a bit smarter than our idea of simulation. If anything, if anything, if if it is a simulation, it's probably nothing like what we imagine.
2: Yes, and to answer that, I would say that I think um, one of the most uh, mind expanding exercises we can do as humans is then in response to expand our ideas of what simulations could be. Um, because I guess right now we have kind of a very narrow view of simulations that's tied up with all these colloquially uh, ideas of lack of authenticity and things like that. Um, but yeah, when you start to think of a simulation as uh, a subsystem and start asking questions about whether or not we could be a quote, unquote, controlled subsystem inside of a larger space, then I think the answer to that is you know, very plausibly yes. And I would call that a simulation. I don't want to. I mean, we could think of another word for it, but
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know. I feel like the people who have limited definitions of the word simulation should change uh, rather than me.
0: Yeah, maybe the simulator is forcing you to say these words. It's part, of the, it's part of the simulation. I mean, if the, the the sooner we
2: the sooner we start, you know, broadening our definition of simulation, the the sooner we get to the <laughs> point of making our own. All right.
1: So so with that, I think this is, this is a good place to to stop. So with that, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us for this exciting episode, and we'll see you all here in two weeks.
0: All right. See you all next time. Thank you for joining. Bye. Yeah.